Blog Talk Radio. Someone who can help to put a face over. 
And she's just done tremendous work uh, between her promos, adding the figure four on the ring post uh, to her repertoire. To be perfectly honest, the way she throws on that figure four, she does that figure four better than The Miz is doing his figure four. Uh, She's done a tremendous job. And, man, the knockout match at Slammiversary, I'm not going to say it stole the show. There's a lot of quality entertainment over the course of that, that evening, but... Tremendous matchup between her and Taryn Terrell. And, again, it's not like we talk about the ladies that often here on the show. It was just a great matchup. It was violent. Um, There was a rivalry. There was heat. There was a lot of cool spots. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, when you talk female wrestling, how often do you hear about the crowd chanting, holy shit, or the crowd chanting, this is awesome, and you had both in this match, Tremendous job on both their parts. Gail Kim uh, puts Taryn Terrell over. And, you know, I don't have enough positive things to say about this match. Just kudos to both these women. And I look forward to seeing what Taryn Terrell is going to do in in the future and how Gail Kim is going to recover from this, where she's going to go forward uh, with her her heel uh, persona. But I just really enjoyed it, and I'm hoping that this, uh, you know, moves female wrestling in the right direction, at least in, in the, the knockout division. You have a lot of talented female performers. And, and let's face it, I mean, is, is any guy out there think that Gail Kim is less hot because she's she's got a, a well-developed character and she's, she's putting on good matches? Does anyone think Taryn Terrell is less hot? I mean, you could be attractive and sexy and, and a... a a magnet to, to men everywhere and still put on quality matches. You don't need to be this this Barbie doll, this this non-entity where it's just eye candy. Um, I just don't have enough positive things to say about the knockout match, and I'm really excited to see uh, where Gail Kim goes in the future. I mean, Dave, over the past few weeks, we've seen a lot out of Gail Kim. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Gail Kim's uh, been doing the past few weeks? Gail Kim reminds me of a skinnier and better-looking version of Mark Henry. She's just mulling through everybody um, and, and, and having no remorse about it. Um, and the match on, on Sunday with, with Taryn Terrell, I didn't have much expectations for it. I didn't watch it live. I caught the replay uh, yesterday morning and uh, on YouTube or somewhere on the, on the Internet, and I was blown away by how good it was. I'm not saying that, like, I didn't think Gil Kim had the ability to take someone who was relatively new in wrestling in, in terms of in-ring style like uh, Taryn Terrell, but I was, just, I, I was just blown away by how good it was. Um, and that's exactly what TNA had been about when they first started the knockouts division. You know, that's the one thing I think that they've kind of lagged on in the past few years. In 2007, when they started the knockouts division, they were a focal point of the show. You didn't just have one segment with the girls. You had maybe two or three. And there had been times where the girls were some of the highest rated segments on that show with the beautiful people. They even had Gail Kim and, uh, you know, Awesome Kong, Karma, whatever you want to call it, main event in Impact once, and it was a it was a higher rating than the previous week's male main event and the and the week following. So they got something good with the girls where their audience is attracted to it and wants to watch it and wants to see the girls wrestle. I understand there's different audiences between TNA and the WWE, but this is exactly what they need to do 
among a few other things, if they want to stand out and be different from what the WWE is. And I think in the past few years, they've kind of let the division go a little bit. They let some girls go that just were very talented, like Angelina Love, not in TNA. She's one of the best female wrestlers out there. I just was surprised, you know, that she's not around anymore. But I think they're starting to realize what they've had with the women and what kind of advantage they have over the WWE because the WWE is a global, worldwide brand. They're seen everywhere. And their women aren't a focal point of the show. They're not put in a positive light. The, the women are basically meant for, for piss breaks in all intents and purposes, if, you know, if, if that's how you want to put it. And I think now that they realize, all right, we've got to capitalize on this. These girls can kick ass. People want to see them do that. And we've got to make more of an effort to, to put these girls in a positive light. And they got the talent to do it, you know. I mean, Velvet Sky, very popular girl on the roster. She's been with the company since they started the knockouts. Division. you got Mickey James, Tara, Gail Kim, Taryn Terrell. ODB is a, a, a pretty solid hand in the ring, even though I really don't care for her character. She's a pretty solid hand in the ring. they got girls that could wrestle and could really work. So they, it's just them actually putting the effort and time into uh, making them a, a, a good focal point of their of their product. Yeah, and you know, I mean, how often do you watch a, a ladies' match where you, you just, I mean, you describe it as hard-hitting. I mean, it was a violent matchup, and, and they just they just did a really good job. And, and the problem, I guess, with, with TNA a lot of the times is, you know, are they able to capitalize on the momentum? A lot of times it's one step forward, two steps back. Um, you know, Maybe this is a point where the knockouts become, again, uh, more of a focal point of their product. Because you're right, they do have the talent. And, uh, you know, if Slammiversary, if that match is any indication, uh, I would look forward to seeing uh, where exactly they're going to go uh, in the future. But solid, solid pay-per-view. Kudos to the ladies for bringing it. Uh, But everyone brought it. I mean, I thought the performances all around were very good. Uh, it was a very well-done uh, pay-per-view. Uh, some of the other matches, I mean, we have Chris Saban, new X-Division champion. Uh, real solid matchup, exciting matchup. Uh, Saban busted open after the match, hitting himself with the championship belt. But whatever. It made for some cool picks on the Internet as uh, Hulk Hogan was talking about him. I'm kind of curious, Dave. And uh, this is one of the things that I like Chris Saban. I like what he brings to the table. You do, you, you got to wonder. I mean, look, the guy's got all the talent in the world. You've got to wonder how far he can go. He's got two bad wheels. Uh, you know, he looks good, maybe a bit tentative at times, but he looks good. Uh, a lot better than I think a lot of people would look nursing or, or coming back from two torn ACLs. Uh, I, I found it interesting that Hulk Hogan came out and, and put Saban over. Uh, this is the future of the business. Is it just me, Dave, or do I, do I find that Hulk Hogan... Uh, is is coming out often and saying this guy is the future of the business. It, it seemed a bit redundant. I don't know if Chris Saban is necessarily the guy who is the, quote, future of the business, but uh, I, I don't know. I kind of found myself thinking that as Hogan comes out and says that, it, it's starting to, I don't know, feel a little empty. Uh, I feel like he, he's said it numerous times. Uh, I, I, I believe he has said it about... Jeff Hardy, I think there was Austin Aries. Uh, geez, he may have even said it about RVD. Uh, now it's it's Chris Saban. Uh, 
you know, do you think? I mean, again, I'm excited. I think Chris Saban will be a very exciting X Division champ. You see Saban as the future of the business? Um, well, I do agree with you. Hogan, you know, for, first point I'll make, Hogan has come out and said that a little too much. I think that's just for Hogan. You know, and I love Hogan to death. I and mean, you, you know all of our viewers know. I, We're both I right that. there. You know, Hulk Hogan, you know, he's, he's, he was the guy that, that, that drew me into wrestling and I will always have a, a, you know, a, 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 a positive feelings towards Hulk Hogan because of what he had done for me as a wrestling fan. However, um, at this stage in his career and at this stage in my life as a wrestling fan, I'm not saying Hulk Hogan needs to go away, but I think that was just for Hogan uh, FaceTime for camera time. Um, and to, you know, put in a, positive ringing endorsement about the match itself, but I think he takes a little too far when he starts, you know, everyone's the future of the business. You know, you mentioned RVD. RVD had been the past and present of the business when he said future of the business. I don't know exactly why he made mention of RVD, but do I feel Saban is the future of the business? There's a possibility, and the only reason why I say that is because his story, you know, I mean, he said it last year about Austin Aries. And the hardcore TNA fan base and their audience, they gravitated towards Aries because he was something different. He was something fresh. No, it didn't move the needle in terms of ratings to get people to come in and say Austin Aries is their world champion because a lot of people probably didn't even know who Austin Aries was, um, you know, or casual wrestling fans, I should say. But the interesting thing about Saban is that he's got a a unique story. He'd been basically out of wrestling for almost two years because he had – two torn ACLs back-to-back, one knee and then the other. And it's a very sympathetic story that people couldn't gravitate to and sympathize with with a guy like him because, you know, people – you, you, he's a baby face. He was, you know, portrayed as an underdog, and now it's even more of an underdog story because he's coming back from two torn ACLs. It's something that could work and could gravitate him towards main event status in TNA or top-of-the-card status. He has been with them for a long, long time. He was, you know, in the very first Ultimate X match um, with Frankie Kazarian and Michael Shane. I mean, he's been he's been with the company for virtually the beginning of its of its stages. So I could see Saban doing the same thing that Austin Aries did last year. I don't know if they would give him a run at the TNA heavyweight title, but I think, I personally, my opinion here is my prediction. They said that, you know, he's going to cash in his, his title shot at Destination X. I didn't know there was going to be a Destination X pay-per-view. I thought, that they were they stuck to four pay-per-views. Maybe it's going to be a special impact or whatever. But I see Saban – I don't see Saban cashing it in, honestly. I see him turning down the offer and trying to bring Prestige back to the X Division and keeping the X Division title and not going into, uh, you know, a title match to, you know, cash in his – you know, for his uh, title shot with the X Division title. But it's a story that's very intriguing and people can get behind, and I think they will exploit that. They will bring up, you know, his two torn ACLs, and he's been out wrestling for two years. Doctor says he couldn't wrestle anymore, and, you know, this was his dream ever since he was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, and this, that, and the other, and, you know, the whole you know the whole story. 
But that's how I think it could possibly go. And I think it's got potential. For Hogan to say he's the future of the business, I don't know. I think that's got to be determined over time and how much emphasis and focus they're going to put on him as a character for the, for the show. Don't just say he's going to be the future of the business and then you see him, you know, defend the X Division title here and there and he's not involved in any kind of serious storylines. You've got to give him a platform to prove he could be the future of the business. Don't just, don't, don't just throw that out there. Totally agree, and, and uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with where you're going with that. I mean, I, I see the same thing, that he's going he's gonna to say, no, I'm, I'm an X-Division guy, and I'm proud to be an X-Division guy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick here, and I'm going to defend my X-Division belt. Um, but cool to see him back, and I wish him all the best. I just, you know, I kind of was like, oh, okay, and, and same thing. I mean, grew up on Hulk Hogan. Uh, will always be a, a Hogan mark. Um, and, you know, I like seeing him on TV. TV. I don't think he needs to be on TV maybe as often as he is, but I like him in the GM role. Uh, I, I just was like, all right, again, with the future of the business. So, you know, we'll see where they go with, with Saban. Uh, again, a lot of tremendous action during Slammiversary. Uh, Kurt Angle, big night for Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle... Uh, beats AJ Styles, but maybe even bigger for Kurt Angle. He is the second inductee into the the TNA Hall of Fame. Uh, well deserved. Uh, you know, Dave. I mean, he's a guy that you know they kept saying. I guess they couldn't say the company name, but Dixie Carter kept making reference. You know, the guy that crossed the line. You crossed the line, and I don't think there's any doubt in, in most wrestling fans' minds that. Uh, you know, who knows where this company would have gone, and we look at it, and it's been around 11 years, and it's it keeps plugging away, and at times we're real critical of TNA, and I, you know, I said it earlier, sometimes we're at one step forward, two steps back, but I don't think there's any debate, Dave, that, that Kurt Angle, quote, crossing the line, uh, maybe above anybody else who joined that company, gave that company legitimacy, and if he didn't cross that proverbial line, Maybe TNA is not around 11 years. No doubt he is very important to that company and a well-deserved honor being the second inductee into the TNA Hall of Fame, Dave. Well, you know my feelings about the TNA Hall of Fame. I don't think, I mean, I've said it in the past. You know, I said it last year when they announced that they were going to have a Hall of Fame and then when they, you know, inducted Sting. I, I didn't really think it was a great, they've only been around for 11 years. Um, you know, I understand that, by them doing that, they try to, you know, make the viewer believe that they are a bigger product than what they, you know, you got to believe in your own product, otherwise the audience isn't going through. So I can, I think their purpose behind having that Hall of Fame was to recognize a few guys and make them to be a bigger deal than they already are and actually maybe have people take them more seriously. Uh, but I thought being around 11 years, having, you know, 10, 11 years having a Hall of Fame, I just didn't think it was, you know, necessary at the time. I think you still got to, they still got other things they got to do before they can start building a Hall of Fame, you know, in in theory. Um, not saying that Sting wasn't deserving and not saying that Kurt Angle wasn't deserving. In fact, I think I said it on Sunday. I made a prediction. Kurt Angle would be the next guy to go in. Uh, I think that was also done so that they could scoop WWE. Um, it's quite interesting that, this past the week before the pay-per-view, Kurt Angle did a lot of media appearances, and in a few of those media appearances, he mentioned that there's a possibility, and he's open to returning to the WWE on a part-time schedule to, you know, go out with them. You know, he'd like to have a big WrestleMania match or a WrestleMania moment. 
Um, so I think maybe they kind of jumped the gun and was like, okay, we, we, if we give him the Hall of Fame, maybe he won't do that when his contract runs out in a couple of years or what have you. Not saying that he's not deserving of it because, believe me, he is. You know, all his accomplishments, you know, before TNA and then in TNA, um, you know, are, are, you know, duly noted. Um, you know, an angle, uh, like I said, Sunday. He's got one thing that nobody else in the wrestling business has. Everyone's got different benchmarks, whether it be title reigns and length of title reigns and, you know, how many main events of this show they've, you know, done and sold out, you know, T-shirt sales and all that stuff. But Angle's the only guy that's ever won an Olympic gold medal, you know, in, in, in the Olympic Games. And that's something that, you know, puts him head and shoulders above everybody in the wrestling business, period. Um, but, you know, Angle had a good night with AJ. Um and the, the Hall of Fame induction is, you know, deserving. And I think, you know, um, I think this this Hall of Fame induction is going to mark Angle will probably get, like, one more main event run, maybe against Bully Ray, and then he's going to quiet. I wouldn't say he's going to quietly bow out, but you're going to see Kurt Angle have, like, an Undertaker-like schedule where he's going to come and go here and there. You won't see him as a main player on TNA anymore, and I think that's due to the fact that his body can't handle it anymore. I mean, he's a freaking machine, but I've heard some stories from other wrestlers where, like, he should have retired five years ago because of the stuff he's done to his body. Um, so I think this is, like, I think this is, the you know, the, the point in time where Kurt Angle is going to turn the corner, so to speak, and, uh, you know, slowly finish out his career in TNA. Whether he goes to WWE is a different story, but... Um, I thought, I, I mean, deserving, but you know my feelings about the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I don't need to get into it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as critical. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, you know, like you're saying, if you believe in your product, to me, it's like, well, why not? You're 11 years, have the Hall of Fame. Um, I do, you know, it's interesting because talking with, um, you know, I still talk with uh, the guys at Busted Open, and uh, you know, they had Kurt Angle. In studio, and you know they were telling me that when he, you know, I mean, for a guy who looks amazing in the ring, they were saying that he he really can't turn his head. Uh, you know, someone went came by and said hello to him. He had to turn his whole body to turn around. He really can't turn his head, and uh, you know, he he is banged up, and and it, he's still such a tremendous competitor. And I, I'm a huge Angle fan. Um, but yeah, he is a guy that you're probably you know you've probably seen more of Angle in the past uh, than we we're going to see going forward. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see another run, maybe another run at the TNA title. Uh, but then we may be looking at a part time schedule for Kurt Angle. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. Uh, let's hit the main event in Slammiversary because uh, talking Hall of Fame. Well, the first TNA Hall of Famer, Sting. Going for the TNA championship and uh brutal matchup, uh violent matchup. Uh, these two guys, no love lost between these two competitors. Uh Sting comes up on the losing end. Bully Ray retains the title. Uh interesting step in this is that Sting can no longer go after the TNA title. A predictable finish, Ace and Ace interferes, the hammer is involved. Uh, you know, a valiant effort. Uh, you know, you, you kind of uh, there's portions of this match actually that, um, you know, Dave and I are both big Sons of Anarchy fans. And if you're a Sons of Anarchy fan, uh, when Opie was killed uh, this past season, 
you know, where a group of guys were surrounding him and just beating him up, and Opie kind of put in a valiant effort, but then eventually succumbed. Uh, there was part part of this match that actually reminded me a bit of that scene. Uh, so Sting putting up the good fight, but eventually succumbs to a hammer to the head, which, you know, I mean, no, not faulting Sting's. I think most of us would probably get pinned for the three count if we took a hammer to the head. Uh, so can no longer go after the TNA uh, World Championship. Uh, I like it because I think it, it adds uh, a new uh, wrinkle to Sting's character. He, he cannot go after that belt, the belt that uh, means so much to him. Uh, puts over Bully Ray. Bully Ray uh, continues his strong title run. Uh, your thoughts on the stip and the results of uh, the main event, Dave? I like the stipulation. I mean, I said it on Sunday. They could find a loophole if they want to put him back in the title picture. It's wrestling. It's been done before. Um, you know, and we'll we'll talk about certain loopholes later in the show when it pertains to another match that we saw on Raw last night. But anyhow, um, the, uh, the the match was a fun little match. Um, I was surprised to see Bully Ray pull a knife out. Um, during the match, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm like, you know, this is supposed to be family entertainment, you know, no guns, no knives, you know. And I saw it, and I was like, I was like, what? I was like, what's he going to do? He's going to try and, like, scalp him? Or, like, you know, <laughs> we could, like, I didn't know what he was going to do. And then, like, he cut the rope to the ring apron, like the ring skirting. I'm like, okay, why did you use a rope to cut the, or use a knife to cut the rope of the ring skirting when nine, when every single wrestler, if they go underneath the ring to get something, you just pull the ring skirting up. It's not that hard to lift. Like, I know I'm being a little critical here, but I just thought it didn't make any sense. Like, I think it was just done for a visual that everyone would be like, ooh, he's got a knife, what's he going to do? And then he cuts the rope to the ring skirting to pull something out from underneath the ring. When him and Devon get the tables, he's pulled the ring skirting up in years past to grab tables out from underneath the ring. I just didn't see what made sense of it. Match was fun otherwise. I mean, no old part stipulation. They, they, you know, they, they bumped around and, you know, used a few weapons and, you know, I like that they didn't go with the predictable Brooke Hogan costing Sting the match because they planted the seeds with, you know, the, the bully still loves her storyline. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Morgan get involved because he's kind of disappeared since he had that god-awful match with Sting a few weeks ago at Impact to, to, to lose the, the title shot. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really care for it. I mean, it was predictable, yeah. I didn't really care for it. The one thing that bothers me is, like, you know, Hogan comes out every week on TV and talks about, like, the locker room is united against the Aces and Aces, and we've seen, like, all the guys from the locker room run out during a run and to attack these guys. And, you know, they're, there's a united front, and Sting's the leader. And, you know, they, they always talk about how they're, 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 they're banding together to fight off the Aces and Aces. But it's a no disqualification, no holds barred stipulation. Aces and Aces show up, and they all beat down Sting. Where the hell is the rest of the goddamn locker room? Like, I didn't get it. Like, what a good, you know, Kurt Angle's got an issue with those guys. Why didn't he show up? Like, was he was he still crying that he got inducted into the Hall of Fame? Where the hell was Jeff Hardy and Samoa Joe and Magnus? Did they get enough licks on the Aces and Aces from their match before that they didn't want to come out and help Sting? I mean, like, Abyss won the TV title from Diva. What was he, too busy celebrating? Like, where were these guys? Like, I don't get it. Like, it just didn't make sense. Like, nobody came out. Like, if I were Sting, I would have been like, where the fuck were you all? Like, seriously. I would have been so fired up. Excuse my language. I I know I haven't cursed in a while, but God damn, like, 
this just doesn't make sense. Like, are you all afraid of them now? I mean, like, how could you be afraid of Wes Briscoe? He looks like a male stripper in a biker vest, like, for real. Like, <laughs> I, I, honest to God, he is not scary at all. He's just weird looking. Like, he needs to get rid of the – he looks like Tarzan and he wrestles like Kane. He's, like, terrible. Like, I just don't get it with these guys. Is it the, I just thought it was – it didn't make any sense. I watched the match yesterday. I was like – well, yeah, here we go. This is what the locker room feels about Sting. What they, you know, they all must have left. Like, I just didn't like it. Like, I, I like the bully one. It establishes him as a bigger name because he beat a guy of, of Sting's stature. He can have a more dominant run as the champion. And, you know, Sting put him over, which was good. I like the stipulation. And, like you said, it adds a new dimension to Sting. They can come up with something for him to do, um, you know, other than just being the championship picture. And it gives more guys an opportunity to be in the championship picture now that Sting is officially out. But you heard my rant. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Match was solid, but the, the, the finish and the logics in it, like the knife and that, I don't know. I just yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was weird because you just and, and it's funny with TNA because they could have fixed that whole thing. Just you know, Sting could have, Sting could have, they, they could have had a backstage vignette beforehand and there could have been like a TNA locker room and he could have said I don't care what happens tonight but you leave me out there I'm taking care of this on my own I don't care who comes out and then then it makes sense uh you're right I mean everyone's got beef with Ace and Eights and when everyone in Ace and Eights is is killing Sting uh they're nowhere to be found um you know they could have done something they could have even been just a melee rather than Sting getting over on all of Ace and Eights, uh, what if some guys did come out and help him? And then, you know, in the confusion, Sting lost the match. Uh, again, like you're saying, an entertaining match, but some of the storytelling uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. The other thing I thought with the knife, I mean, in a no-holds-barred match, you introduce a knife, and you're supposed to be this evil badass. I mean, you, you said before the match, you're going to break Sting's neck. I don't know about you. Like, if, if you're that bad a, a person and you have a knife on you, aren't you going after your opponent with the knife? You better stab somebody with that thing if you're going to pull it out. Like, That's exactly what I was thinking when he took the knife out. I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. Like, he's going to actually try to stab Sting, and Sting's going to have to, you know, fight off a knife attack. And, you know, he uses it to, to cut the ring apron off. It just was kind of... Uh, and again, look, I'm saying it, it's be, this is criticism that's being a bit nitpicky. I, I did think that Slammiversary was a solid, entertaining pay-per-view. But there are those moments where it was just kind of, you know, maybe you just should have paid a little bit more attention uh, to the storytelling aspects of it. And, and again, like I said, quick fix. Sting saying, I don't come out there. I don't want you to come out. I don't care if all the East states are out there. I'm taking care of this on my own. Uh, I agree to the stipulation. I'm taking care of this on my own. Uh, that would have made sense for uh, the, the storytelling. It just, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, why doesn't anybody come out and, and help him out? Just, uh, I don't know, it's kind of weird. But we got so much to talk about. Give you a little bit of Slammiversary. We want to get into Monday Night Raw. Daniel Bryan, house of fire right now. Is anybody hotter in the business today? Chris Jericho is saying he is the, the best performer in all of wrestling right now so we had a real solid monday night raw we can talk about we can talk daniel bryant we can talk monday night raw 
We can talk Slammiversary, whatever you guys want to talk about. 347-838-9815 is the number to call because we're going to go out to the phones right now because we got Tony on the line. Tony, what do you got for us today? All right. Hey. Um, so, first off, yeah, I, uh, I did watch Slammiversary. I thought it was a great show. Uh, the knockouts match was, I think, it, that and the Kurt Angle AJ Styles match were probably the two best matches on the show. Um you know, I mean, I didn't really, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, like Terrence Rowe really showed that she can, uh, you know, that she can actually go. And that's the finish of that match was, just, I don't know if it was like a bulldog or a diamond cutter off the entrance ramp, but that was, that was sick. But, yeah, but it, was, it was a great spot. Um, you know, like as far as the main event, as far as the main event goes, you know, it's like, it was, what they did was certainly, uh, you know, it's like Bubba taking apart the, uh, the ring mat. It was Certainly different. I mean, you know, I mean, I, it was definitely something we hadn't. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen done before. But you know, I mean, Dave, I think you you you, you said every pretty much everything. You know, like what? Where, where was the fucking cavalry for? Where was the TNA cavalry? It's like sticking it in his ass, handing to him biases and eights, and TNA guys don't come out. What the fuck is going on here? Yeah. So it's yeah, but, um, so you know, and um. But overall, yeah, like I say, I, I did think it was a good. I, I did think it was a fun show. I thought I thought most of the, I thought all the matches were were real solid to good. Um, as far as Monday night, you know, like Monday night Raw last night, I think by far Daniel Bryan is, is the was the highlight of uh, of the show last night. Yeah, you because know, his 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 promos were were really good. And you know, it's like I really like how they have him getting more uh, you know more aggressive in the ring and stuff like that. You know, and um, you, you know. As as far as the uh, McMahon family soap opera, oh my God, was that a mother fucking train wreck? I just as if like saying, yeah, Curtis Axel, you're beneath, yeah, you're beneath Triple H. Great way to great way to put over new talent, you mother fucking morons. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's heated tonight. Sorry about that, but uh, even yeah, I know getting back to, yeah, like even uh, something about um yeah, like. Hogan calling Chris Sabin in the future. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, TNA's been around since 2002. Sabin's been there since 2003. And, you know, it's like, guys like Sabin and AJ Daniels, because those, those guys are the present. They're not the future. You know, it's like, that's one thing that they really do. They really, they really pisses me off, too. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, you, you got all the guys who have been there who, who are like the TNA homegrown guys, you know, who've been there since day one, pretty much, and they're still be, and they're being called the future after 11 years. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, I mean, you know, you know, I'm sorry to go on this is his heated rant, but you know, just like you know, because I, I, I do, I did enjoy the Ultimate X match, and you know, it's like I like that Hogan put Saban over. I just wish he wouldn't have called him the future. You know, it's like he's the present, you big dummy. Yeah, I mean, and that's just it. Like the problem is that he's done it too many times. He keeps he keeps referring to guys. As as the future of the business, and you know, I think sometimes Hogan, you know, he's he's trying, he's trying to put guys over, and doesn't uh, he doesn't know exactly what to say, and it, it, it's weird. I mean, sometimes I wonder with TNA, you know, is you know what exactly happens in you know in the the back offices, you know, is it Hogan saying, you know, I am Hulk Hogan, and you will put me on TV. Or is it the powers that be in, in either Spike TV or the front offices of Impact saying, you know, Hulk Hogan is the most recognizable face in the history of, of wrestling. we got to throw him on TV so that, you know, it's Hogan's thinking he's getting a night off and they, they're telling him, all right, you go out and say something good about Chris Saban. And he's like, all right, uh, yeah, I guess he's the future of the business. 
Um, it's just kind of, you know, sometimes, I mean, with Hogan and the GM, sometimes it works and sometimes it's just like, you know, maybe less is more. Um, you know, I don't know. I, again, it wasn't, you know, Dave and I both said we're both kind of Hogan marks, but I just didn't, uh, I didn't think that segment really uh, worked for him. But, um, yeah, well, you know, it's funny that you said because, I mean, I found that getting back to WWE and the McMahon family thing, uh, it was weird because it was, it was a mixed bag for me. Because I kind of found it entertaining in a way because I'm curious where they're going to go with this. Um, you know, I, I immediately like when McMahon, when Vince McMahon came out, uh, I, I, as I'm watching, I'm thinking, wow, you know, McMahon is like really eating up the, uh, you know, Mr. McMahon as a face kind of role. And uh, we kind of started seeing a little of that uh, heel Mr. McMahon again. Um, I, I found it. Interesting, like the the controlling wife and father-in-law, and then the you know as as Dave put it, the punch drunk fighter trying to uh you know get back for like one one last fight. Uh, so that aspect of the the McMahon family drama, I found entertaining and engaging. However, I do agree with you, Tony, that you know they did really. Beat the, and I and I'm curious to see if there's a point to it coming coming down the pike, but they really beat that into your head. I mean, you know, you came out of that segment as a fan thinking, all right, Axel, yeah, he's he's beneath Triple H. Axel is beneath Triple H. Axel, let's not believe in Axel at all. He is he is not a main eventer. He is a bona fide un main eventer. So, you know, I'm curious where they're going to go with that, but. There was a point to that. I mean, they really were beating that, you know, into us as fans that, you know, Axel is beneath Triple H. But that, that, the drama aspect of it, I, I kind of enjoyed it. What did you think of that whole thing, Dave? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, you know, they talked about how he's beneath Triple H and, you know, they they beat that horse to death. And then Vince does a backstage, you know, skit with Heyman and, and Axel and he's like, you're good, kid. Like you got a you got a bright future. He's so beneath Triple H, but he's got a bright future. He's good, right? Like he even put him over when he was talking to Hunter. He was like, "This kid's good." Like he was on, you know, you were unconscious because of it. like, make up your minds what you want to do. Like you know, if if you're gonna you're gonna uh, promote this kid and, and really make him, you know, a, a main player on TV, or you're just gonna, you know, is he is he gonna be a stepping stone for? For to you know facilitate the storyline with Triple H. I mean, I just don't. I, I it was kind of weird, you know. I there was a girl sitting behind me in the crowd last night when I was watching it, and she was just like, "Wait a minute, he's beneath him, but he's good enough to consider him the guy that took him out to be on." Unco- I mean, there were people in my section that were like, "You know, what are they doing here?" But like you said, Ken, it was engaging with you know the family drama, you know the. the the McMahons always do good family drama, I will say that, you know, other than the fact that, you know, McMahon, you know, apparently sired a midget, you know, or a, or a leprechaun a few years ago, everything, <laughs> else that they, everything else that they've done um, has been pretty entertaining for the most part, um, and, you know, they, they all have a love-hate relationship with each other, um, but, yeah, I just didn't really, I was like, what are you accomplishing here, you know, and, and we'll get into it further when we talk about, you know, the main event, but, it wasn't it, to me. It wasn't a good night for Curtis Axel. You know, it was every, people were on the fence about him because of those comments. And as a viewer, I was confused what they were trying to accomplish with him in this storyline. 
Agreed. You got anything else for us, Tony? Well, yeah, like he was like David said, you know, this is why a lot of young guys never get over because Vince is always like at first was like it was like you tell the fans, Hey, this guy doesn't matter, this and that. It's like like you're saying, he's like he's telling us the guy matters but he doesn't matter that much and then it's like you know, I mean I've probably gone her right about this before, you know, it's like they push a guy or they deep they push a guy and then they deep push him and then they try to push him again and it's like, Okay, how come the fans aren't getting behind him? You know, it's like you know, even you know, you know it's like when uh Vince told uh, Curtis Axel that he was going to be uh, wrestling Cena you know, in an ODQ match. I mean, like, like freaking Curtis Axel was literally like, he was like, what am I doing? You know, it's, 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 you know I mean, is he, is he supposed, you know, yeah, like you said, is he supposed to be, you know, they, you know like I said, they just give him a new, a new you know, like, a, like I said, the, form, the former Michael McGillard Cuddy or whatever, you know, it's like, I mean, it's, they rebrand them, you know, they, they they do all this good stuff with them. They have, you know, they have them with Heyman. And then, you know, it's like, it's like it's like it's like some a lot of times like Vince doesn't really like I don't I'm not sure, I don't know if he really knows how to push anybody anymore you know because it's, it's just like he did yeah, because he's kind of out of touch with the fans <laughs> but uh, you know um, like I say you know because I I hope it doesn't end up with just Curtis actually eating the pedigree and then uh, that's the end of that or that character because that would really suck ass that would yeah. be so fucking bad. <laughs> If they just, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, we're granted this guy now, the cho- you know, now uh, the chosen son or son-in-law is going to just pedigree him and that's it. That would, yeah. Wow, Tony, we got we got an angry Tony this this uh, show tonight. Thanks for calling, though. Like 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 you're bringing the passion. Um, yeah, I, mean, I agree, man. Well, I mean, we'll see where they go with Axel. I mean, it's funny because there's part of me that's like, you know, uh, why are they burying him? And then there's part of me that's, there's got to be a point to this because they they just at nauseum they were saying he's beneath you. So I'm kind of curious uh, where they're going to go. But at first glance, it definitely didn't. It wasn't a good night for Curtis Axel. Uh, if you guys don't know, Tony is the best blogger in the business. Go over to the Show dot com. Raw SmackDown Impact. He blogs for us each and every week. Tony, thank you so much for the call. I'll talk to you Sunday. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Take it easy, man. Yeah. Wow, Tony heated. I mean, you know, it's funny because, you, you, I mean, people are getting heated. I, 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 There's part of me that's kind of trying to, to reserve judgment just to see where they're going to go with it. Um, I, I do think when you look at the whole Curtis Axel thing, uh, I think you and I both kind of were at least optimistic. Like, all right, you know, you can do the, the smarmy, weaselly heel thing. You beat Triple H. You beat John Cena. Uh, with, you know, with questionable results, you know, questionable uh, shenanigans going on, but you, you had those two victories. Uh, you beat Sin Cara clean. Uh, you know, I don't know if they needed to go back to, all right, let's have them wrestle John Cena again and have uh, something funky happen at the end. I mean, when... You know, when they booked the match and they said a no DQ match, it was just like, all right, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know there's going to be some sort of interference and Axel's going to, you know, wind up the victor. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was kind of like a, a disjointed feel as far as where exactly they're going with uh, the Curtis Axel character. I mean, I'm optimistic with what this kid can do. And to be honest, I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen out of him in the ring. And with a guy like Heyman steering the character, uh, you know, there's every reason in the world to be optimistic. Uh, But you you do, like last night, as much as I thought it was an entertaining Raw, 
you do come out of, out of that raw with question marks as far as where Curtis Axel's going, Dave. A count-out victory in a no-disqualification match. What the hell's going on? <laughs> I've, watched a, I've watched a lot of wrestling. Too much wrestling, as a matter of fact, okay? That's why I do this show. I was sitting in that crowd last night, and I looked at my brother, and I said, why is the referee counting John Cena out, and it's a no-disqualification match? I understand that technically they didn't say no DQ, no count-out match. But in past, no disqualification, no holds barred, street fight, whatever you want to call it. It's just a different name to say that there ain't no goddamn rules. <laughs> they, they, I've never seen anybody win by a count-out. So you mean to tell me you could beat the crap out of a guy with a chair or a lead pipe or a piece of a broken table or Michael Cole's iPad, apparently, they used last night to break up the... the, the whatever the hell Cena was doing, and you can knock him out on the floor and slide into the ring and win via a countout. I have never seen that before. Obviously, this was done to, quote-unquote, protect John Cena and and to, you know, also give a smidge of momentum for one Curtis Axel. But, however, you keep giving him these cheap victories. I don't care if, you know, he's aligned with the Taliban like, he's not going to be considered a credible main event threat going forward in the WWE. Like, I think he should have had a a pinfall victory over John Cena with, like, some Ryback interference. Like, Ryback sure came in and laid him out. Or, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen Triple H come back and, you know, trying to go after Axel. Cena goes to take Axel out. He hits Hunter. Hunter has one of his dizzy spells again, and then Axel rolls up Cena for the upset victory. It don't hurt John Cena. Like, I mean, we've talked about this. Like, I like John Cena. I've been, you know, you, we're supporters of him on the show. We're not haters like most of the people on all them goddamn podcasts are who wish death upon John Cena. We are not that. But it's ridiculous that, like, they try to protect him so much. Hulk Hogan didn't get this much protection. He was a bigger wrestler and a bigger name than John Cena. Like, I just don't understand why they, they're they so worried about Like, is some kid, is some Make-A-Wish kid going to be so mad that John Cena lost the match? Like, you know, I don't get why they do this. Like, Jesus Christ, I'm so friggin' mad right now. Like, honestly, it's just, I was, I, I was like, dumbfounded. A count-out victory in a no-disqualification match. Like, what were you thinking? Like, like I, 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 I can't even talk about this no more. I'm like, what the hell? It's funny because that's exactly like there was there was confusion there was confusion in the living room at the end of that match because it like the match ended and we were just like wait you can do that like count out in a no DQ match like that I guess like we actually were like sitting there like, I guess it can happen maybe yeah I guess well it just did so yeah it definitely was was odd and you know like it's it's funny because I mean you said Hulk Hogan you know and and maybe it's it's Boil down to, you know, better commentators years ago than there are now. I mean, to me, if you have, like, John Cena lose, get pinned, you know, the announcers can can play into that. How does this affect John Cena's psyche? He was pinned. He's got to face a monster like Ryback at payback. How You know, I mean, it's, 
there's so many ways like the announcers can build how it, it you know might affect his psyche, and that goes for like a lot of the big stars. That it always seems like when they're leading up to a big match, the big names can't lose, and I don't understand that because if done the right way, you can lose a match going into a big pay per view match and just play off the psyche. They they do it all the time in in sports. I mean, you can have you know. You know, LeBron J or Dwayne Wade, you know, Dwayne Wade had a horrible game six. What does this mean for him in game seven? Is he going to be able to step up in game seven when it's all on the line? How does this affect him having such a crap game in game six and the series becoming even going into a decisive game seven? I mean, that's the way they do it in sports all the time. You know, sometimes a bad thing happening adds to the drama of it all. So you can have these guys get pinned before a big match and just use it. Use it for the character and use it to put Axel over. So, you're right. I mean, I didn't get it. And, and again, it's funny because we're being really critical of this. I thought Raw was a solid show. It was an entertaining show. But the main event left me uh, a little bit with the head scratching, with, with the, the results, with the count out, and with what exactly they were doing with with Curtis Axel. So there's just like, there's a lot of confusion and just where exactly are, are they going here? So, you know, it was weird. And, and, you know, we got out some of the negativity. Let's talk about positive And then I want to get right out to the phones to hear what you guys, because as much as we're being critical of the main event, there's a guy in the business that Chris Jericho has said is the best performer in the business right now. To me, this guy is just getting better and better. And I'm talking about Daniel Bryan. You all know it. What this guy is doing right now, character-wise and in the ring, is absolutely amazing. And what I love about him, more than just the athleticism, I mean, this guy is a tremendous athlete. This guy can go. He can go with the best of them. But what I love about him is that his style has become much more kinetic, a much quicker quicker pace. It's it's a manic style of wrestling as his character has become more manic. And one of the things we've talked about uh, criticizing uh, certain performers is when, like, psychology-wise, that what you're doing in the ring is not matching your character. And it's amazing to me to watch Daniel Bryan as his, his character continues to unravel more and more, and he becomes almost borderline paranoid psychotic. His style in the ring is reflecting the psyche, and it's just... Putting everything together, I mean, right now Daniel Bryan is bringing it all in promos, in ring, everything he's doing. And you know what? Here's a guy who like just got his ass kicked and got broken down, put through tables, and this guy is still probably the most popular guy in the sport right now. There's not enough good things I can say about Daniel Bryan. I love what. They're doing with the character, and I don't know if creative has had a lot to do with it or if it's more Daniel Bryan, but whatever's going on, I am really enjoying it. I am hoping that over the course this year, at some point, we see a rivalry surrounding the world championship between Daniel Bryan and Dolph Ziggler, because I think you're talking classics right there as far as what those two guys could do with the world title on the line and could do a lot for that title. I don't know, Dave. I mean, right now, we were critical about the main event, but, I mean, you were there live. What was the crowd like? I mean, what was it like seeing Daniel Bryan live? This guy just keeps getting better, man. 
they were on fire. Especially, I mean, his you know his his comebacks, his offense, and the six man tag, they were they were eating it up. You know, when he came out with Kane, you know, it was the the yes chance. I mean, it felt like I was in Miami all over again. I mean, Harper doesn't get a whole lot of WWE. They get you know maybe a Raw once a year, maybe a house show, but you know that's really about it. But it was they were on fire, and uh, you know for for everything that he did. Um, I will say his reaction going into his match with Ryback, um, you know, his entrance, it wasn't as popular as it was before, maybe because he had already been out. But then there were points in the match with Ryback early on and then toward, and then in the finishing sequence where, I mean, the people were going nuts for him. Everyone, I mean, everybody was standing. And it was close to a sellout in the building. Everybody was standing watching when he put him in that leg move, when he was, you know, I mean, when he had him in the, he he had him in that yes lock, bell lock, whatever you want to call it. He had that arm cranked. Like I'm surprised, like Ryback didn't pop anything because normally when they put those guys in like those cross face kind of maneuvers, they don't really torque back on that arm with the legs hooked. But he had it cranked back, and I, you know, I thought Ryback maybe could have hurt himself at some point when when. Brian was, you know, going back. But he's, in my opinion, he's money, man. I, I mean, I, I, I think where they're going with this is that, you know, the paranoid wrestler, he's going to turn on Kane and he'll have a heel run. And it, although it will be good, I'd really like to see him just be this, like, paranoid, crazy baby face. I think regardless of what they do, the crowd's going to eat it up with him, and they're going to they're going to respond positively to him. I mean, it, you know, he was when this whole yes phenomenon started, he was a heel, and it turned him into a babyface. Like I said last year, that will turn into, him into a babyface. He's such a talented performer; he can go all across the board when it comes to wrestling styles, and you know, and and his character. He, he's one of the guys that like. A lot of people really thought he wasn't really going to do much when he came into the WWE. They knew that he was going to be a successful in-ring wrestler, but from a character standpoint, people didn't think he really had the chops for it. I mean, he's proved a lot of people wrong. In my opinion, he's the number two babyface in terms of reactions and just overall entertaining in-ring work. I would say he probably gets the strongest reactions out of anybody. I mean, they they go ape shit for him when he comes out. The yes chance and the no. I mean, it was it was it was it was fun to watch and you know talking about reactions you know and I'm talking about you know baby face and heel turns or whatever you know I don't know how well it translated on television but I'll say this when they gave the hot tag to Randy Orton he came in, in the middle of that six man and cleared every girl in that building was going crazy for him and the place just exploded when he got the hot tag I gotta go back and watch it I don't know what you saw but for me sitting in that building and it may be biased for me to say this but I find it hard now for the company to go turn him heel after hearing the reactions he was getting last night. I mean, and I've not been, towards the past few months or so, I've not been a big Randy Orton babyface fan. I've been clamoring to see a heel turn. But after last night, man, I wouldn't be disappointed if they kept him in the position that he was in in terms of his character because it's getting a reaction. It's getting a strong reaction, and you know, as of late. And I think they're really trying to push him towards, the, towards you know, a, a main event picture. But getting back to Daniel Bryan, he's hot. He's muddy right now. And I don't want to see a heel turn, but I think it will do good. But I don't want to see it. I'd like to see him stay a babyface. I love when he just goes crazy in the ring, the, the kicks, and then he's, you know, running guys in the corner, another kick flying through the ropes, this, that, and the other. And his stuff with Ryback, that's probably, in my opinion, I'm not saying this because I was there live, but that was probably Ryback's best match to date 
like actual wrestling match. Like he he he. he he actually made you believe at one point during that match. So like, oh my God, Ryback could actually lose this. That's how good he is. I can't. I can't have enough good things to say about Daniel Bryan's performance last week and just him overall as a performer. Yeah, man. I mean, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, one of the biggest problems I've had over years in in pro wrestling is, you know, sometimes a smaller guy going against a bigger guy and. To me, most of the time, it becomes incredibly unbelievable that the smaller competitor could even compete. Daniel Bryan is so good, he makes you believe that this this is a a just matchup, that he could actually beat the bigger foe. Uh, you know, just tremendous what he's doing right now. And I, I like, why turn him face or heel? Just make him, like, continue to be this, this loose cannon kind of character. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. I think the reactions for him are so huge because he's one of those few guys. You know, look, you got like a John Cena that you got the kids and and a lot of the ladies. You know, they cheer for him, but the the smart marks, you know, they're gonna boo him. Um, you know, you got guys that you know fall on on both sides. You know, you got a CM Punk where the kids and everyone they're booing him because he's a heel, but the smart marks are cheering for him. Uh, you got a Daniel Bryan where. Everybody loves him right now. Everyone loves what he's doing. He's he's so kinetic in the ring that he he gets the crowd going and and your 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 typical wrestling fans, the kids, the families, they're all liking Daniel Bryan. And and on the flip side, obviously, all the smart marks uh, they love him. You know, the internet wrestling community loves Daniel Bryan. So Daniel Bryan is one of those competitors right now that is he goes across all types of wrestling fans right now and. You know, sky's the limit. I'm just really curious where, how far this guy could go because, you know, I was one of those guys. Like, I didn't know really how far he could go in the WWE. I was kind of, you know, I liked him. I thought he was very talented, but uh, was curious. I never would have predicted that he could have been uh, one of, if not the most popular guys in the sport. And I don't know if I ever would have predicted that, you know, a guy like Chris Jericho would say he's the best in the business. So, uh, sky's the limit right now for uh, Daniel Bryant. Really excited to see where he's going to go. And we're going to go back out to the phones right now. What do you guys think about everything we've been talking about? Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. We're going to go out. We got Mr. Trivia on the line. Trivia, are you there? Yeah, how you doing, guys? Doing all right. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I agree with uh, a lot of what you and Dave were both talking about. You know, I mean, we we. Got a first time. We got a tone rant and a Rosen rant, so that worked <laughs> out. That worked out pretty good tonight. I look forward to the Rosen rants, but I was surprised with the tone rant. Um, guys, you were talking earlier before about um, Curtis Axel, uh, Daniel Bryan. I'll get back into that in just one second. But my my question to you guys is, um, prom- promoting wise and and making him into this superstar. Which wrestler do you guys think the WWE missed the boat with making this guy into something? Because I have my my pick that I've said for the last 10 years that if they marketed this guy the right way in the WWE, he would have been almost unstoppable. And who do you think the WWE missed, missed the mark with marketing a wrestler that they could have really made into a, a major superstar? It's a good question, Dave. What do you, you got? Anyone offhand? Oh, 
No, to be honest with you, I don't. Who's um, your guy, Trivia? I got Lex Luger. I think if the WWE marketed Lex Luger the right way, I think he would have been almost unstoppable in the WWE. But I don't think they I don't think they marketed him the right way. I mean, this guy was this guy was cut. He was uh, I mean, he was an athlete, football player. You know, the youngest man ever to be to, to ever play in the Canadian Football League, drafted by the Green Bay Packers at the age of 20. I mean, he was 21 rather, and he was this guy was phenomenal. And I don't think the WWE marketed him the right way. Well, uh, let me ask you this question about Luger, because sure. you know, I mean, you're you're a few years older than me, and you know, when I, when Luger came into the WWE, I was a kid. Um, I mean, and I knew Luger from you know WCW NWA uh, fame. What was it that they did wrong in terms of marketing him? Because he seemed, I mean, as a maybe it's because I'm a kid, but. I was a kid at the time, but he seemed like a pretty big deal to me. I mean, they they had that Lex Express to set him up with his title match with Yokozuna. Um, you know, he was in he was in the title picture in the main event scene. Um, granted, looking back in retrospect now, he was also a part of an era that was like after Hulk Hogan had left and when wrestling wasn't as popular. But what was it that they did? What, I'm just curious. I'm not like you know trying to have a heated debate with you. What was it that they did wrong in your eyes that made Luger not seem as big as you think he should have been? I mean, the guy was a, a phenomenal chiseled athlete. They bring him in with Bobby Heenan, who you know, Ken, I saw your thing about the greatest manager of all time. They bring him in with Bobby Heenan, who who tried out this narcissist deal which started out pretty good in the beginning, but then it kind of got played out. But with Luger in the WWE, I mean, you know, like you said, Dave, he was in the main event, the body slam challenge with Yokozuna. But actually, how many title matches did Lex Luger receive? How many championships did Lex Luger win in the WWE, WWF or whatever it was back then? That man could have came into the WWE and probably – ran through it with the talent that he had, size and, you know, six foot five, two hundred and seventy five pounds. And I think that that's, that's where they missed the boat. They could have marketed him to give this give this guy a title shot. I mean, look at all the title shots everybody else gets. And, you know, they have some tremendous talented wrestlers like Ken Di- like Ken said, Dave said, uh, I think Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler will be like one of the greatest world title matches you could ever see. But I just feel in my heart that they could have marketed him better to to make him one of the champions that, you know, this guy could look at it and say, wow, this guy's champion now. He's going to be unbeatable. And I don't think they – I just don't think that they marketed him that way to make him look like he was going to be this big, huge, muscular guy that's unbeatable and, you know – Everything and that's just that was just my feeling on it. I just don't think I, I, I kind of hear I kind of hear what you're saying. I mean, they could have you know he didn't have a run with the strap. Uh, you know, I think we all thought you know I remember you know when he was popular and he was pretty popular, but uh, you know we were waiting for him to win the the WWE championship, which he he didn't do. Um, you know, I mean, I it's it's tough for me to be objective because I was never a big Luger fan, but I can see where you're coming from that maybe they could have pushed him a, a little farther, uh, 
you know, in the business. Um, you know, it's yeah. funny, tough because I'm, I'm really trying to think of guys that like I, I thought they missed the boat on, and I, you know, I, I I don't know if I can really, you know, I think of guys like you know, like a Matt Morgan who's you know made a name for himself in TNA. Could he have, you know, done something more? Uh, in his time in the the WWE, you know, maybe did they miss the boat? I, it just, I don't know. That's that's a good question. It'd be something that I really have to kind of go back and and look at some some stuff and and look back at. Well, certain- I got one name. I got one name that comes to mind, and it, it just goes along with kind of with the criteria of what uh, Mr. Trivia said. But um, Scott Hall, when he was raised a Ramon in the WWF, he was like super popular. Like he was he was like. You know the second top babyface in the company, and granted he was like he was the glue that kind of held the mid card together. But I don't ever remember he got. I remember him getting one title shot when he was a heel, and that was against Bret Hart in, at the 1993 Royal Rumble. I don't ever remember him competing for the heavyweight title or being even near the heavyweight title picture. Right. He that, was, that's a at least Scott Hall held the championship. He was the Intercontinental Champion. I mean, Luger didn't even have a title in the WWE. And he had Good a title, point. numerous titles in WCW. But that was just my that was just my rant. Um, other than that, guys, I think uh, Daniel Bryan, whatever they do with him, face, heel, it's, it's still going to be awesome to see Daniel Bryan, you know, regardless of, of how they make him out. And I also want to let the fans out there know that uh, BTW coming out here to Altoona, Pennsylvania on August the 10th, Ric Flair, Mickey James, uh, main event for the, for the BTW Heavyweight Championship is going to be champion Flex Armstrong against Shane Douglas for, in a steel cage match. And the special guest enforcer that night is going to be Terry Funk. So it should be a good show. Uh, like I said, Ken and Dave, I'll be in touch with you guys off the air about the uh, stuff like that, and uh, guys, thanks very much for taking my call, and uh, keep up the good work. It's a great show, and enjoy listening to you, and we'll talk to you on Sunday. Thanks a lot. Take care, Jerry. All right. Good stuff, man. Didn't didn't think we'd be talking Lex Luger tonight, but it's a love. You never know what the callers are going to bring to the table. 347-838-9815. We're going to stick with the calls. Uh, we're going to go right out. Uh, Mike, are you there? Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on? What do you got for us tonight? Hey, I, hey, I, I found out, I found out why those guys didn't help out Sting. They were, you know, why? Because they were in the back downloading the WWE app. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that, that's good, Mike. You know, no, that's just Dave. I like your point. Before you had a good point. Like, why ain't anybody coming out to help out? You know, like, where are they? You know, what is uh, Elvis celebrating? <laughs> Uh, the other thing is, um, the other thing is, I heard, I heard Mr. Uh, Trivia just now talking about Lex Loser, as I call him, Loser. Um, <laughs> Lex, I like, you know what? I like Lex, but I was talking to Magic about Lex Luger one day, and I was telling Magic how I, how I thought that Lex Luger was overrated, because Lex Luger has a couple of hip tosses, a couple of power moves. Um, you know, back in the in the early '80s. Nineties, uh, he had a big run with Ric Flair, um, which which I just which I I thought Ric Flair um, would he call. I mean, I thought Luger deserved it at the time because Luger was good in WCW. When Luger came to WWF, I think the WWF did everything that they could for uh, Lex Luger. Like you said earlier on, Dave, 
They had the Lex Luger, Lex Express. They had Lex Luger. You know, they started him as the narcissist. So I actually, I actually think that the WWF at the time, well, now it's he, but the WWF at the time did everything they could to market Lex Luger. I think it was just Lex Luger who couldn't get the job done. But that's my opinion. I mean, I'm not the wrestler that Lex Luger was, you know, but that's what, that's what I think. Um, but I, I liked Monday Night Raw last night. I thought Raw was pretty good. I, and I do agree with both of your points about um, the, the no disqualification, the count out. I mean, hey, you know, if, if he would have beat him, if he would have beat John Cena, that would have been a big win for him. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, definitely it would have been a, a big win. It just, I mean, it, I, I mean, he got the win. It just, it's I, again, it's, it's just, I, I don't know what to make of the, the character development right now. I, I was, I was okay with it up until last night. I just thought it was kind of all right. He, he beat two, you know, big timing two as a two future Hall of Famers, uh, you know, under questionable circumstances, and then they finally get him out of that. And and he has like a, a clean victory against Sin Cara. I was like, all right, now let's, you know, you, you you put him over with two where he can Heyman can spin it. Heyman's a spin master, and he can continue to say, you know, he's he's one of the best young talents in the business. Wins over John Cena and Triple H, and he can keep using that as he wrestles lesser guys and and establishes himself with victories against other guys. In the company, and I just thought that was—I I thought they were doing a good job. Two big wins, clean win against Sincar. Now let's let Curtis Axel wrestle some of the, the the rest of the roster and get some some victories, and maybe some underhanded victories, you know, heel type victories. Yeah, put on the rope. But yeah, but like victories, you know, victories that <laughs> wasn't like you know extenuating circumstance, and let him kind of start to you know, establish himself with the rest of the roster while Heyman uses those two victories to continue to help spin it and put the character over. And and that's kind of what I thought they were, the direction they were going in. And then last night, it just, I, I don't know. And, and again, I'm not going to say they're completely dropping the ball, uh, but it just, I don't know, it kind of made me scratch my head a bit exactly where they're going with Curtis Axel. Speaking of scratching your head, and I'm going back to TNA, Kurt Angle in the TNA Hall of Fame, give me a break. I, I, I'd rather see Jeff Jarrett in the Hall of Fame. And well, you know, I don't understand why TNA put Kurt Angle in the Hall of Fame. Give me, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, if you ask me. I mean, but again, again, if Kurt Angle deserved to go in the Hall of Fame to accolade his career or whatever, then so be it. I, I, I just don't think there was a need to put Kurt Angle in it. I mean, Jeff Jarrett would have been suffice to me. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't think that it's it's undeserved. I mean, I do think he legitimized the company. If you want to talk like guys who who should go in, yeah, I mean, I, I say Jarrett should probably go in maybe before Angle. I, I would say probably Jarrett and Angle should probably go in before Sting went in. Um you know, it's just uh, that's the way way the the cookie crumbles, I guess. But I'm all not... right. So let me ask you something. Next year, if WWE decides to put John Cena in the Hall of Fame, are you all right with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'm just saying actively wise. That's where I'm going with this whole point. You know, actively, you're going to put Hall of Famers um, 
in that are active. That's like saying wrestlers that write a book now. It's like, are you serious? You're writing a book, you know, you're writing a, a, a book, and uh, you're still wrestling. I mean. It's a good point, I guess, for TNA, and, and, and I guess it, it will bring up the debate on whether, you know, I mean, I'm not so harsh that Dave doesn't think there should be a TNA Hall of Fame. I mean, that's, that's you know, that brings up that debate because, you know, your company's only been around 11 years. How many guys do you have that, that should go into the Hall of Fame? And you're really, I mean, it's it's a short list for the company. So I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I John Cena's going into the Hall of Fame at some point. But, yeah, it would be weird if next year they decided to, to put in a guy who's very uh, active on the roster. So I, I see your point, but again, I, I don't have as big a problem with Angle going. I mean, Kurt Angle is a. I mean, Kurt Angle is a great wrestler. I know, you know, no doubting, not doubting his talent. Kurt Angle is one of the best. You know, in WWE's time when he was wrestling for them, I mean, he did everything that he could over there. Then he came over here. He did everything he could over here. I mean, I'm not knocking the guy. I just don't think it was his time. But again, if TNA feels that they want to put him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I honestly, I think they should have a Hall of Fame, and I'll tell you why. Because they've been around 11 years. I think it's time for them. I think they have their Slammiversary event. Why not put someone in the Hall of Fame? But it just baffled me when I found out that Kurt was in the Hall of Fame. But what are you going to do? But, guys, thank you for my time, and I will speak to you next week. Next, well, I'll speak to you on Sunday. Thanks a lot for the call. Talk All to right, you. All right, Dave. You have a nice week, Dave. Thank you very much, Mike. Oh, 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 you know what? I have one more thing to say. I'm sorry about this, but I just have one more thing to say. Um, a very special rest in peace to my friend Tom Berger, um, he, a.k.a. Tommy Hunter. He passed away this week. He was the cameraman, um, and he was also a belligerent fan for <laughs> um, for BWO. When I first started BWO, he always used to call me a nobody because I was a bad guy, and... Uh, Rest in peace to Tommy and, and his, for him and his family. And I know Steve Walsh and him were friends and all these other BWO wrestlers, and he were friends. So I just wanted to get that out there. And I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks a lot, Mike. Take care. Thank hey, you. Mike, answer, Mike, answer the door. I think Ryback's at your house. <laughs> what happened? Oh, you heard the ambulance. That, I, that is right. That is, that is Ryback. And, and the aces and the aces and Nates are here, too. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a nice week. I love. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, and you know, not to get off topic, but yeah, condolences. Uh, uh, Tom actually worked, uh, you know, on Wrestling on Fire as well. So Wrestling on Fire and BWO families uh, lost a friend. So condolences to everybody who knew uh, Tom. Uh, sad, you know, young, uh, gone too soon. But uh, so condolences. And uh, thanks, Mike, for bringing that up. We're going to go back out to the phones because we got Joe on the line. Joe, are you there? What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing all right. How you doing? What do you got for us? Uh, well, first got to ask Dave a question. Is it possible to get a transcript of that last phone call? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I can work on something. Why? What do you plan on doing with the transcript? I'm going to burn it. I couldn't understand a word. <laughs> <laughs> Um, first of all, I just want to make mention, like you had said about Tommy Hunter passing away. It was, uh, it was a really big tragedy that we had suffered. And, you know, for somebody of his caliber and his likeness and to just be gone so fast is just, it's, it's too much to, for one person to handle. 
you, you don't believe it and you, you don't want to believe it. So rest in peace to Hunter. Um, I just want to throw that out there. But I want to talk about the uh, – I don't know if you guys saw the anniversary. I'm assuming you did. Uh-huh. I wanted to give uh, a great, great ounce of respect to Gail Kim and, and Karen Terrell for quite possibly having one of the best matches I've ever seen in TNA. Yeah, we actually, I mean, it must have missed, we opened the show with that, and uh, I, I could not be more impressed with, with what they did, and they, you know, uh, I mean, it was it was a well-played-out match, uh, they, they, yes. uh, it was athletic, and it was violent, and, and like I said earlier, and they're both hot. I mean, they gave us, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, sometimes I think that, you know, they they feel like, they, the two need to be mutually exclusive, and they're not. You can be athletic, and you can be violent, and you can put on a real solid wrestling match, and you can still be hot. And they, they gave us the eye candy, and they gave us a great match. I mean, I, I thought it was tremendous because, you know, you had the athleticism, but they, they did give you that visceral kind of hatred and heat between the two of them that, uh you know, you want to see as a wrestling fan. So, I mean, glad you brought it up again, but, yeah, yeah. No, positive things to say about those two. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Th- watching their match kind of reminded me of the, actually it did remind me of the Trish Lita feuds and the Trish Mickey James feuds that dated back all the way to the WrestleMania main event that they had. Like that was up there. That's how good that match was. That's high praise. Yeah. And then Raw last night, huh, couldn't have been any better, especially the fact that Daniel Bryan wrestled not once, but twice and quite possibly stole the show. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on? I mean, you know, a lot of it. We we talked a lot about Daniel Bryan today. Um, you know, I mean, you're in the business. I mean, you watch a lot of wrestling. You've seen a lot in the past. I mean, what do you, like? How how far do you think Daniel Bryan can go? I mean, to me, I think he's he's continuing to get better, which is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, what do you see as far as like how far can this guy go? Well, with the way that they have him booked now, with how he's you know, trying to prove the fact that he's not a weak link, that's sort of bringing out that American dragon side of Daniel Bryan. So it's like seeing him get into these, like, fits of rage when he wrestles and just trying to prove himself and prove himself. It's just, like, unbelievable. And his matches have gotten, I mean, not like they haven't been bad to begin with, but they've gotten so much better. And the fact that he wrestled Ryback last night and pushed Ryback to his absolute limit and made probably made Ryback huffing and puffing around the ring was just amazing to watch. And the crowd completely ate it up and loved every minute of it. And I love it. But I think if they continue to play their cards right with this feud and this whole, you know, gimmick that they got going on with Daniel Bryan, I see it last in a good couple of months to where eventually maybe we'll see him break apart from um, Kane and then you'll see that Orton heel turn and then maybe him and Orton will feud. And then Kane will just go, like you know, his separate ways and you know support him. But I don't think he would be involved with Daniel Bryan as much anymore. I wouldn't mind seeing that that feud either. I mean, I'm I'm real curious to see where exactly they're going to go with this uh, character because it, it's just kind of a, you know, it's, I mean, he's getting the crowd reactions, so you, you lean towards all right. He's he's kind of a face, but he's yeah. just, he's just kind of a loose cannon. I mean, he's not. He's like yeah. I was just about to say he's like the Brian like Brian Pillman. That's a good and how name. he's just uncontrollable. And um, 
like to, not to go off quick off go off topic, but with the Shield, as hot as they were, and you know they're continuing to improve and improve. I think that last night Daniel Bryan outshined the Shield. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big Shield supporter, but yeah, he definitely he, he he definitely out. He was the MVP last night. Like, what I found interesting that like, you know, a lot of people that we haven't touched upon. Um, and being there live, it was pretty cool. Like, you know, we talked about how Vince and Stephanie kind of put down Curtis Axel, and they kind of, like, did, like, a small heel turn, like, to the crowd about having Triple H not wrestle. And then yeah. the Shield comes out, and they get a huge pop, and they come down the stairs. I didn't know they went to commercial break until I had to watch some of it this, uh, this morning. But, you know, I was really hoping to see, like, the Shield kind of, Jump on Vince. I mean, they're probably they're, they're probably foreshadowing that, that it could happen again sometime down the line. But apparently, if you went on that goddamn app, you would have saw <laughs> that you would have saw that Vince left the ring. I didn't know it was on the app. I thought I didn't know they had gone to commercial at some point. Um, but you know, Vince leaving the ring or whatever. I thought that was still kind of on camera. But um, you know, you're you're absolutely right, Joe. Daniel Bryan. I mean, just being there in the arena last night, he was the MVP. He everybody ate it up. I mean, I waited in line to get a Dolph Ziggler T-shirt, and I and I'm not lying to you. I can't tell you how many kids that bought those Daniel Bryan foam fingers. Like he <laughs> he is he is mega over man. Like he, they, I they got. They got so much potential on things they can run with and do with him. Like, I know that it's it's stereotypical for the WWE to take a guy that's the number one baby face and he's got to be, like, ripped and cut and, you know, over six feet tall. But I'm telling you, man, this is the first time in a long time that I truly believe that that mold can be broken again with Daniel Bryan. And you know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing Daniel Bryan in a gauntlet match against the Shield, wrestling them one-on-one, because you know that matches that he's had in Ring of Honors will start to show immediately. And he puts on phenomenal matches with Dean Ambrose. And Seth Rollins, oh, my God, I can only imagine how the crowd would be if they wrestled in a singles match. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, a gauntlet match, that would be that would be incredible. I mean, I'm just excited to see where they're where they're going to go with him and the – not absolutely future. And just one more quick thing before I um, like you know before I hang up whatever. I just wanted to mention. I don't know if you guys watch NXT, and have seen any of the uh, Bray Bray Wyatt matches and the Luke Harper and Eric Rowan matches. But the Wyatt family, I have never been this much excited for wrestling in my entire life, and I cannot wait for them to debut on Raw or SmackDown or Velocity or whatever the hell they show they decided to <laughs> debut on. But I. <laughs> but I am such a huge supporter of them, and I know that the crowd is going to – it's just they're just going to love it. Just like they love the Shield debut, they're going to eat it up. And I just cannot wait, and I hope it's soon, and I hope it's against Orton. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, but, uh, Absolutely. Just a quick mention, uh, next Saturday, June 15th, we have our uh, BWO show in Nutley, New Jersey, 150 Chestnut Street. Um, it's going to be a uh, memorial show for uh, Hunter that passed away last, last week. So if anybody wants tickets, they can check out BodySlamWrestling.com or they can check out the Body Slam Wrestling Organization Facebook. Awesome. Thanks a lot for the call. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. And Dave, I want my transcript. <laughs> for both phone calls. All right, yeah, I'll make sure I get right on that. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Easy, man. Thanks, Joe. 
Yeah, I, I, Dave, I think you got a future of like doing uh, advertising for the WWE. Just uh, yeah, if you tuned into the goddamn app, you would have saw. Yeah, just be real belligerent to the wrestling fans. Get the goddamn app. You know what? Here, I forgot to mention this too. While we're on the subject of stupid stuff that took place last night, <laughs> did you guys notice that, like, when Daniel Bryan was confronted by Ryback, how Ryback said that he put Kofi, the Kofi Kingston, in the hospital on Thursday, but their match aired on Friday? Did you guys ever notice that? Wow, you know, I, I miss that. I must have been checking the app at that point. <laughs> the goddamn app. <laughs> I, I, I did miss that, but wow, did he say that? He said he goes. He goes. He, he Brian was walking through the hall. He saw the skin or whatever, and he confronts yeah. Ryback, and Ryback was like, "I'll have you know that uh, I know I put Kofi Kingston in the hospital on Thursday." Well, how could you put him in the hospital on Thursday if you had your match on Friday, you moron? That's a pretty good Ryback, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> Initially, we, you know, we got, we're running out of time. we got about five minutes left. But uh, we need to touch on this come Sunday. But, you know, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, we, we talked about how, you know, and we're all we're all S.H.I.E.L.D. supporters. Um, Daniel Bryant, the MVP of that six-man tag. And it, it's interesting because i I got to admit, and, and I said it on the thread, and I'm not going to back off it. I'm kind of getting tired of the six-person tag matches. However, I thought the match in and of itself was entertaining. I'm just talking storyline-wise. It's like another six-man tag. If they're going to go six-man tag this often, I would have had just the Shield, you know, Reigns and Rollins win the tag belts and kind of defend them via the Freebird rules. Um, It's interesting because there was all this talk about, you know, the Shield and the Shield of the up-and-comers and the Shield, these guys are great and they're the future of the business. And we're hearing all this stuff about, you know, how great these three are. And, and you know, the Undertaker's in the back saying these guys are the future of the business. And they finally taste gold. And a lot of wrestling fans are, all right, these three, these are the three guys that are going to put, that are going to add prestige. They're going to finally raise up these titles. Ambrose, Ambrose. This guy's amazing. He's going to bring more prestige back to the U.S. title. You know, Rollins and Reigns, are going to, they're going to elevate the tag division. And yet we keep seeing these six-man tags. I, I, again, I feel like now with these guys, as talented as they are, the titles are kind of becoming an afterthought again. And I'm kind of curious if, if maybe, you know, as much as I want to be optimistic, and I'm, I am one of those fans that wants to see these belts mean something, you know, maybe I just need to stop hoping. Because, you know, you got these young up-and-comers, futures, you know, future stars of the business, and yet I do find that, wow, another six-person tag. Can we, you know, could we have Rollins and Reigns against the Usos? Can we have Rollins and Reigns against maybe the primetime players, you know, kind of to, you know, elevate that, that tag division, you know, have something screwy happen there so we, we, we elevate, like, the tag teams uh, in the company, I, I don't know. I just as much as, and I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Because I thought the match was incredibly entertaining, but uh, in the the short time period that they've had these belts, I don't think they've done much for for the titles in and of themselves. And I'm hoping we see more of this six man thing kind of go away, and we see Ambrose a little more in some singles competition to help that U.S. title. 
and Rollins and Reigns in more straight up two on two tag team action. I, you know, it's just my two cents. Your thought on the titles, Dave? Um, I, I I do agree with you. The six man thing's kind of getting a little old, even though they are good matches. You know, they, they're not stinkers. Um, you know, what's the point of having Ambrose involved and in having the U.S. title if you're not going to do anything with it? You should have just had, you know, the, the free bird rule, all three of them defend the titles, um, you know, because they are a group. They really focus on them as a group, not just one single person. They're all, you know, they're all an entity, equals. Um, I think it's still a little early, though, because, you know, they, they had both, both, you know, the Shield, you know, they had their tag title defense on Monday last week, and Ambrose also had uh, a, a title match with Kofi on Raw last week. So I think it's still a little early. Um, it's only been a couple of weeks since they had the title. So if, if the same stuff goes on in a few months and we don't see, um, you know, enough, I should say, distance between Ambrose and, you know, Rollins and Reigns in terms of title matches and seeing Ambrose out on his own more, then I would say that, yeah, they're, they're, the, the titles are an afterthought. I think it's still a little early. From what I understand, from what I read last night, um, you know, when the Usos, um, you know, wrestled last night, they debuted face paint. Um, okay, yeah. great. They debuted face paint. However, apparently the face paint as well as, you know, the the company is trying to build them to be a credible team to go up against the Shield. So we'll probably see a Usos-Shield feud for the tag team titles um, at this point. And I think at that point that's when you might see um, Ambrose move on to other things and, and uh, you know, with the United States ch- uh, Championship. But, um, like I said, it's still a little too early for me. It's only been two weeks since they won the belt. So they had a title defense last, you know, last week. So I'm going to give it a little more time. But I do understand where you're coming from in the sense that, the six mans, it's kind of getting a little old. Even though they're good, still getting old. Yeah, and even like we're saying, I mean, last night, you know, you have a guy like Daniel Bryan that kind of steals the show, which, you know, is great and it's entertaining, but, you know, it's not helping the Shield. And the Shield has got, look, they're over and, and they're they're in a good spot. But, again, we've seen in the WWE, you never know. Like, there's a slippery slope where all of a sudden, uh-oh, they're not being used the right way and they kind of slide into irrelevance. And I'm not saying it's going to happen with the Shield, but I'd like to see a little more depth going. And, and again, entertaining matches, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of ready for uh, the six-man tag to kind of go by the, the board a, a little bit and kind of let's let's change it up. And and I think you got some good tag teams. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the Usos are a good tag team. I think the primetime players are a good tag team, true tag teams. I'd like to see uh, a little bit more of those guys in the mix for the belts, and we can talk – a lot more about that uh, comes Sunday. Who knows what the rest of this wrestling week is going to hold for us. Impact, the, the fallout of Slammiversary, where does Sting lie? We have SmackDown, so we will on Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m., our regular time slot. For Dave, I'm Ken Reedy. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Good night. <laughs>